And um, I really just believe that this word that I have for you this morning is, is to build the local church, and it's to strengthen your faith. And so I hope that your, that your heart is open this morning to hear the word. And what I'm going to do, church, is I'm going to lay a foundation, then I'm going to ask you a question, and then I'm going to share with you the solution to the question, and then we're going to have the best Sunday in the world. Amen. Okay, tap your neighbor. Are you ready? Tell them, that, are you ready? Ask them if they're ready. Ask your neighbor if they're ready. Ask your neighbor. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, 10 o'clock. Are you alive? Are you still waking up? Still got some sleep here. Okay, my message is called Heart of the Father. Simply Heart of the Father, because I really do believe that when we get a glimpse of the heart of the Father again and again, we will start to walk with a spring in our step. We will start to run the race marked out for us with great joy, even though running is tough sometimes, okay? And we will start to prophesy and declare with great authority over the enemy to see every generation saved and set free in Jesus' mighty name. When I look at his word, I find how to do life. But when I look at his heart, I find life itself. Now, in order to see his heart, we need to look at the start because we find ourselves somewhere in the middle of this thing called life and this journey of Christianity. We find ourselves somewhere in the middle and you and I are consistently surrounded by all kinds of stuff, opinions, religions, social medias, uh, the news. There's a lot going on in the world and if there's a lot going on in the world and we keep our eyes on that, it means there's a lot going on in our hearts and in our minds. And what tends to happen is if we allow that stuff to get in on us, we start to ask big questions around biblical truth. Truth like your purpose, truth like identity, truth like uh, gender and sexuality and work and and marriage, and family, and friends, and church, and we start to ask questions uh, about existence, about our own existence, and we even start to ask questions like the existence of God the Father, and this all points to individualism. It all points to self. How can I get myself further? How can I be better? How can my family succeed? How can my church be the best church, or my small group be the best small group, or um, anything like self, anything that points to self. And so what we have to do as a church and as God's people is to gain a new lens to look through and have a filter to filter the stuff of the world through. And simply put, the Bible is so clear. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, everybody say Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. See, so often what happens is we, 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 we get disconnected from biblical truth and we find ourselves looking within for a way, a truth of how to do life. And from time to time, what we need to do is just reconnect ourselves back to the author and the finisher, the beginning and the end. Because when you know where things start, and when you know where things are headed, you will live life and life at its fullest. Amen. So part of understanding his heart for humanity is having a look at truth from the very beginning. And like I mentioned in the earlier service, 
We've been journeying with Jesus for a long time. Some of us have just come to Christ, and that's amazing, and I'm so stoked to see you home. Some of us have been journeying for a long time. Some of us have read a bit of scripture. Some of us have read the book over and over from beginning to end a thousand times. But I can guarantee you, church, that when you ask God to show you something in scripture, you will read the same scripture and he will reveal something different to you. And so right in the beginning of Genesis, point number one is simply this, by his hands. Father, Son, Spirit started to create. And this we all know. Day one, he put light separating light from darkness, and this is his own light. Day two, he he created a vault in the sky. uh, Day three, land and seas, trees, seeds, vegetables, fruit, and food from the land. So these things, the land produced these things. Day four, sun, moon, stars, which reflected God's light, which he put there on day one, which is quite an amazing thing to think about because creation is reflecting him. Day five, uh, creatures in the sea and below and creatures above the waters. Day six, and this is something which I read over so many times. It says, let the land produce living creatures, animals, and then God created mankind. And this is in Genesis 1.27. I've read this so many times, but when I read about creation, I thought, hey, it's just God's hand and he's just making things happen, boop, 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 you and me, <laughs> you know? But when I read this, it says, let the God commanded the land to produce living animals. And then he created you and me. And I bring this up because I need you to know that you weren't produced from the land. You were created by his hands. Created by his hands. Genesis 2 verse 7, God formed man from the dust and breathed in him the breath of life. And the man became a living being to rule and to reign and to be an example of God on earth to creation. This is beautiful. It's beautiful to understand. And so this is why the Bible says, do not make for yourselves images or idols that you may worship him. Do you know why, church? Because you were already created in his image to reflect his glory here on earth. So we don't need idols. We were created on purpose for a purpose. And then we know what happens next. God places us in the garden and he says, eat, eat of any of the, of the trees. Just don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil because there were two trees in the garden, knowledge of good and evil, but also the tree of life. And so the serpent comes along, he slithers along and there was a gap and I'm gonna tell you what that gap was. And he deceives the woman, uh, debate, it's been going on for centuries. Whose fault was it? It wasn't anyone's fault. There was a gap, and I'm going to show you that gap. And so they ate. And then in God's kindness, he removes Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. Because if they have sin in them, lest they also eat from the tree of life and sin lives on forever. So it was his kindness that he removed Adam and Eve from the garden. His kindness. We think sometimes God is a harsh God. Why do we take them out? It's just sin he can forgive. No, there was a reason for it. And then we all know um, what happens next. But here's where it gets very interesting. The woman who was deceived by the snake, by the serpent, the enemy, the devil. Many of us now know that, or it's been debated that um, the enemy went to her because she was known as woman. She had not yet had a name. She didn't quite understand her identity This is why it's so important for the church to understand who they are and whose they are. 
who they belong to. Because with, where there is a lack of identity, there's a gap. And where there's a gap, it's a gap for the enemy to come in to deceive, to get us to ask questions around biblical truth. Who am I? What is up with my existence? Am I male or am I female? What, what should I be? No, there's biblical truth around that. We don't need to question those simple truths. And so the most amazing thing that I, that I realized about Adam and Eve is that their names in the Hebrew means, Adam means human and Eve means life. And together they are human life. And it started to make sense to me. No wonder the enemy went to the lady first because she carries life. And if I can take out life, then we're simply just living. But God doesn't want the church to just check in and check out every Sunday. He wants us to thrive in life. And so the enemy, what he tries to do today is use the same tactics that he has been using in the Garden of Eden for eternity, right? It's like, it's like you have no new tricks, devil. And if the church can understand that he tries to take your identity then we know that he, we can't be deceived anymore because I'm no longer ignorant of the enemy's tactics and his ways. So he cannot deceive me anymore because I am a child of God, not produced by the land, but fashioned together by his hands. So no one can confuse me. No one can confuse me because I am settled. John 10, 10, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and life in the full. That's the foundation of my message. You and I, black, white, colored, Indian, Japanese, Chinese, every knees, were fashioned together by his hands in the image of him. So there's no need to fight one another because the Bible says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but spiritual principalities. And if we understand that, then we know how to fight. So here's the question that I have for you. Anyone here want to see South Africa thrive? Does anyone here want to see your marriage thrive? Does anyone here want to see every generation, your teenagers and your small children come to know who Jesus is and live for him fully? Does anyone want to see the, the, the government change and become a God-fearing, God-loving government? Does anyone want to see Belito on fire for Jesus? Does anyone want to see this church come alive in Christ more so than ever before? Does anyone want to see miraculous miracles and healing taking place? I want to see those things. And if our answer to that question is yes, everybody say yes. yes. If our answer to that question is yes, now I'm going to show you how to get there. I want to show you how to get there through simple biblical truth. And I think something that we've perhaps looked over or missed. Point number two, redeemed by grace. Redeemed by grace, both Jew and Gentile. When we read the Bible, and we read the New Testament, and we read about Paul's letters to the many different churches, we always see Paul talk about the Jews and the Gentiles, big brother and little brother. And this is important to understand because when we read the Bible with that perspective, with that lens, with that filter, the Bible starts to come alive even more so than it already is. We start to see things differently, and we start to realize this, that it is not about what I need when I read the Bible. <laughs> because sometimes we read the Bible and we ask, what did, you, what did you get out of it? How did you feel? It's not about how we feel about when we read it. It is about the heart of Paul when he wrote it to the, to the church and how they received it. And so there we start to learn something different. 
And so it is with that lens that I now read the scripture, and it is with that now that I live with a different purpose. It is not about me and I and myself and what I can gain. It is all about seeing a people who were far off come near to Jesus again. And do you know what happens then, church? Everything else that our hearts desire everything else that God desires for us simply happens because it is the overflow of God the Father's blessing for his sons and daughters because we have our eyes fixed on the author, the beginning and the finisher of our faith. It's no longer about me and I and my family and my business and my achievements it is about God, how can you use me in my world to see people broken, now fully healed, to see people who are filled with fear, now full of faith, to see people who need healing, fully restored. Guess what, church? <laughs> it's not just about ticking the box and going, if I pray this prayer and read the scripture, I make it to heaven. That's law. It's no longer about that. So we read when Paul in his letters, he always, he, he says this in, in Romans 1.16, the gospel that you and I now love and know, the gospel was first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. That's what the Bible says. And so you think, well, that's a little bit unfair. What about me? Oh, did we just go back to the individualism? Did we just go back to putting on my and me glasses? <laughs> right? It's, it, it's, it's not about me. I have to realize that the gospel was first to Israel and then to everyone else. And the reason for this is that Israel is God's firstborn. Any parents in the room? Put your hands up if you're a parent. Firstborn. Okay. So I understand now what it means to have a firstborn. And then your second and third and fourth, awesome. But there's always going to be something special about your firstborn. Am I speaking to anyone? Does that make sense? Is that true? There'll always be something special about the firstborn. Why? Because you've, you've journeyed together. It was the first. It was scary. <laughs> it was difficult. There was a lot of flu. There was a lot of flu. I read this, this, this quote on Instagram. We send our kids to school and we pay a fee of however much and the school sends our kid back with flu. <laughs> Here we go. You pay and then I'll give you sickness. Anyway, um, there's something so special about your firstborn. And it says this in Exodus 4, 22, where, where God commissions Moses to go and set the captives free. He says, um, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Now, when you look at that scripture, and we don't have the perspective of Jew and Gentile, we think it's talking about Jesus but it is speaking about Israel, my firstborn. Whereas the Gentiles, the Gentiles, secondborn. <laughs> Again, parents, when you have your firstborn, everything gets sterilized. Huh? The dummy falls on the floor. Hey, you take it home, you put it in the water, you put it in the microwave, five, 10 minutes, must be clean. Secondborn, falls on the floor, straight back in the mouth. Bloop. <laughs> right? The Gentiles, you and me, if, you, if you're not from Jewish descent, we had no way of accessing God in the Old Testament. 
When you read the Old Testament, you'll see that most of the blessing, well, the promises were made to Israel. The Gentiles were considered people who are far off, who ran away, who indulged in all kinds of sinful things and nature. We had no way of accessing the presence of God while, while Israel had the promises. Israel had the covenants. Israel had the prophets. Israel had the, uh, the rabbis and the teaching. They had a way. The Gentiles, not so much. And this is what Ephesians 2, 11 to 12 says, and this is Paul speaking to the Ephesian church. He says, therefore, remember that you formerly who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, important to know, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. God the Father saw a people, his own second-born son, if you will, far off with no way of redemption. And so Jesus had to make a way. The greatest thing I know of a parent, the greatest desire of a parent is to see both sons home. If, if, if you're a parent in the room and you've got kids who are currently out of school and they're studying kind of Cape Town or maybe they're traveling the world or whatever, I know it is your heart's desire to see the family home. Not just to see one son home, but to see both. Or if you've got more than two, it's to see all three or four or five or six or seven, bless you, you know? It's to see everyone home. And it's been God's desire from the very beginning of time to see both Jews and Gentiles under one roof worshiping one name, Jesus Christ. And then the other thing is, when you see your sons and daughters, your kids fighting one another, I can only imagine that it's the worst thing for a parent, especially when it becomes ugly fighting and there's name calling and there's pulling of the hair and there's shoving and pushing. As a parent, you just want to stop that from happening because you want to see your kids getting along and sharing food and sharing clothes without there being a fight. Amen. And I can only imagine the heart of the Father in heaven, how much more so his heart for humanity to see his sons and daughters getting along. I love the scripture in Psalm 133 verse 3. It says, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. We've heard this before. Where there is unity, God commands a? It is the Father's heart to command a blessing on a people where there is unity. It goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And he's speaking to the Gentiles here. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, this making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. Can we see that it's been God's desire to reconcile both Jew and Gentile, to make one new humanity out of the two, 
And now, church, when I look at the cross, I look at the cross with awe and reverence. I look at it with a different perspective because I notice the way that it is shaped and it makes so much sense to me. Jesus' feet down to earth because he walked this very earth. His head up towards heaven because he is part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. And his one arm reaching out to the, to the Jewish nation and to Israel and his other arm reaching out to the Gentiles, redeeming both. So it no longer becomes about me, I, and myself, and my story. But it becomes about how can I include the person who is excluded. And there was a time in the Old Testament, and we can read it all throughout the Old Testament, that God scattered the Jewish nations all over the world, shut their eyes, closed their ears, and hardened their heart to the gospel. And it was necessary because there was no way for the Gentiles to enter into sonship and enter into the family. And we can see this all throughout the Old Testament. And so Jesus comes and he presents himself to the Jews. Remember in Romans 1.16, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. So he presents himself to the Jewish nation and they reject him. Imagine being rejected by your own people. Have you ever been rejected before? Anyone ever been rejected before? Yeah, silly question, John. Everyone, right? Like, I remember the first time I asked the girl out when I was Lati, and I had all my friends with me. And I said, boys, watch this. And I said, hey, want to go on a date? And she said, not. <laughs> not at all. In front of all my friends. <laughs> I felt very small. Being rejected is the worst thing in the world. And I, I remember a couple of days ago, I was um, we were waking up early and Either myself or, or Jordan goes and gets Summer from her bedroom, my daughter, and we put it in between us and we, and we all wake up slowly. It is the most beautiful picture in the world. Now I'm laying there and I'm looking at Summer's eyes, her beautiful eyes, and I say to her, hey, my baby, first thing that I say to her, and if you know my daughter, she's got this look in her face sometimes. She's eyes wide open and all of a sudden the eyebrows go, And I'm like, what now? And then she puts her hand in my face, not, not gently. <laughs> and she goes, no, daddy, mommy. And she turns to her mom. And in a moment, I have been rejected by my own child. There is nothing worse than being rejected, but even more so being rejected by a kid. Because they are just so rough and brutal, right? Have you ever gone up to a kid and said, high five? And they go, <laughs> <laughs> you feel this small. But I realize, I realize in that moment that Summer is small. She's, clearly, she's young. She's small. She's trying to figure out her emotions. She doesn't know what's going on, really. She's just trying to figure things out. And as a dad, I can't be upset and go around the corner and sulk. I have to be sure of my, of my fatherhood, right? And I have to look at her and say, it's not about how much you love me. It has always been and will always be about my unconditional love for you. That is the gospel, church. I hope that you're hearing me right now. It is not about what you can do for God. It's what God has done for you to reconcile us back to Him. And it is with that great message of reconciliation that you and I have a purpose here on earth to reveal that truth to people 
around us. And not just to the Gentile church, but to the Jewish nation who needs to hear the gospel. Romans, um, Romans chapter 11 and 25, he asked, well, why did God have to shut their their ears and their hearts. Romans chapter 11 and 25, this is still Paul speaking and this is still Romans. It says, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, because it does sometimes feel like a mystery, lest you be wise in your own opinion. May we never be wise in our own opinion. It says, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So we understand that there's a hardening of the hearts. There's a shutting of the ears until the Gentile church is exploding. Hence why it is so vital for the local church to grow. It is so vital for your faith to be strengthened. It is so vital for your friends and your family and the place where you live, your block of flats or your estate for people within there to come to know the good news of the gospel. Because until then, the ears of Israel will be shut. And God has opened a door for all of humanity to come in. And until we come home, Israel's ears will be closed to the gospel. But when the gospel, when the Gentile church gets full, when we start to expand, when we start to grow, when people far and wide come running home, their ears will be opened and then we see a blessing come from the Father because he sees two brothers hanging out together, worshiping under one roof, worshiping one name, Jesus Christ. See, when you as a parent, when, you're, when, you're, when, you're, when your kids are in the house and there's unity and there's joy and there's laughter, as a parent, what you naturally would like to do is incentivize that. You want to you want to make sure that we see more of that goodness. We want to we want to let's go let's go to Shaka Marine World. I'll take everybody out because we're just so full of joy and so full of love. Let's go get ice cream. Let's go eat out. Let's go do something fun as a family because there's such beautiful joy happening around. And I'm telling you, church, when the Jewish nation and Israel start to open their ears to hear the good news of the gospel that you, Gentile church, is going to share with them, we'll start to see the blessing, the miraculous come down. We start to see open heaven over our families. We start to see open heaven over South Africa. We start to see open heaven over our marriages and over our homes and over our schools and varsity and workplaces and open heaven. It says this in, in Romans um, 11, 11 to 15. First, you need to understand this. The gospel was first to the Jews, right? And then to the Gentiles. But now it needs to come from the Gentiles back to the Jews. That's how it works. Romans 11, 11 to 15. Again, I ask, did they, did, uh, they being Jews, stumble so far as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious to make Israel envious. Lord, we've, we've kept your commandments. We've kept your regulations. We've kept the Sabbath. We've done everything that you've required us to do. But here comes the little brother who has gone off and done whatever he wants to do, but you welcome him in. How is that possible? Righteousness through faith. 
But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? How much more will their full inclusion bring? I am talking to you Gentiles in as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and to save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? When Israel starts to open their ears to the gospel, it will be like a life from the dead. There is an abundant blessing waiting, hovering over the church, over humanity, waiting to be unlocked. There are miracles waiting for the church and its people. There is a father in heaven waiting to release anointing and favor and immense blessing over his sons and daughters. And it all relies on the eyes of the Jewish nation to be open to accepting the good news of the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ. And that is going to come through the Gentile church. And you start to think about how our community, how this church has been blessed immensely. And it really has church. Like if you haven't seen it yet, you need to open your eyes because God is, God is over this church. He's over this, the generations of this church. There is a huge blessing over this church. And partly wise because our pastors, Diltes, Markath, Dubs, and Bridge have been so geared towards Israel, have been praying for Israel, have been taking people over to Israel and walking amongst the people and being amongst the culture and preaching the good news of the redemption power of the blood of Jesus. Because there we start to see a togetherness form. Last point, and then I'm going to close, I promise, because I'm also hungry. I can feel my stomach is shouting. Point number three, welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home to you who was far off but now under one roof. Welcome home to you who have been struggling with sin your whole life and can't find a way out. Welcome home. Welcome home to you who questioned God and his existence and who was perhaps atheist for a season of your life, but now you're home. Welcome home to those who were far off. You know, in reading the Bible this way and seeing this revelation, I... I, I Look at Luke chapter 15 with new perspective. We all know the story of the prodigal son, right? And it's the story where the younger brother takes his inheritance and he goes off into a distant land and he squanders everything on wild living, prostitutes, parties, alcohol, drinks, and all the goodness that the world says is good. And he comes to the end of himself where he has nothing left and realizes that the servants in his father's house eats better than what he is eating. And so he says to himself, I'm going to turn away from how I've been living and I'm going to run towards my father's house and I'm going to be on my knees and I'm gonna say, I'm not worthy of being a son, I'll be a servant. And we understand that as he was running home, the father saw him a long way off, says the Bible. And the father starts to run towards the son, embraces him, calls for a new cloak, calls for a ring on his finger, calls for new sandals on his feet, goes into the house and says to the servants, get the fatted calf, let's slaughter it, let's kill it, and let's eat, and let's have a party, because my son was once lost, but now he has returned home. 
And then we start to see the older brother. Anybody ever wondered about the older brother? Why is he so upset? Why is he being like that? <laughs> you know? I always wondered for a long time. Because the older brother comes into the house and he says to the, to the, to the father, he says, this son of yours, the son of yours, <laughs> not my brother, the son of yours, he goes out and he squanders stuff and he comes back and you welcome, in, welcome him back in with open arms and you throw a party for him. How is this possible? And, he, and the older brother says, you've never given me an animal to celebrate with my friends. And then the father looks at the son and he says, hey, you've always been with me. Whatever I have is yours. And he's speaking to Israel. Whatever I have is yours. But this brother of yours was lost. He is now home. And so we will celebrate. And the parable ends. And the parable ends. Church, if we want to see God the Father unlock things for us personally and for our church and for our nation, we have to take the good news of the gospel into our world. Guess what? Us being called Christians is not just about coming to church and singing a song and ticking a box. We have a greater purpose. You know, the Bible, the Bible says in Ephesians also that God has prepared good works for us long in advance. And when it speaks about those good works, it actually speaks about the work of our hands. It speaks about the jobs that we have. It speaks about the creativity that we carry. It speaks about us operating in that way. And that will be blessed as an overflow of first seeking a kingdom and his righteousness. And then everything else will be blessed. We have a greater purpose to carry the message of reconciliation. Look at Galatians 3, 28, and this is the result. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. And just to quickly clarify, that takes us back to Genesis 1. It doesn't mean we can be whatever we want to be because we decide on how we feel. This is biblical truth. For you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. When we reconnect ourselves to the author and to the finisher, then we know our purpose and we know where we're going and we know how hard to run at it. Can we stand to our feet? I'm gonna take a moment.